I will be reading from Psalm 8. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Good morning. Uh, I want to thank Carson and Arlen and Gay. That, that was wonderful. Yes, that was wonderful. Um, what things do we own and possess that we consider valuable? Um, things that we try to keep clean, we try to save in some way, we protect, we in some way try to, we honor things. Um, what do we do? to recognize how and, and what we're valuing with these items. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just talk real quickly for a minute or two with the individual or individuals beside you to kind of share things that you value and how you go about doing that. But here, here's, here's three things that came to my mind when, when I kind of thought of this. Um, I, I have sports cards that I have collected from young. So I have a, a pretty good selection of baseball and football cards. They're stored in boxes, and the more valuable ones are sealed in some hard plastic to, to keep them safe, keep them protected. Um, I don't have them out for viewing, but they're tucked away to stay safe. Um, we also have some family pictures that we have in albums, but also on our, our hallways. And now, now those can be viewed, the, the albums can be pulled out and looked through, um, but again, they're, they're kind of saved and in a valuable location. Um, and then I also have a collection of disc golf discs in a bag, sitting out in the garage. Um, but they're in a bag, protected. But they're also at the ready to be thrown um, into trees at times, which I don't try to do, but, but it happens. So, so they do get damaged, but they are protected and stored in, in some way. So, so I value those, those things. And each of these is valued a little bit differently than the others. Um, and my actions can reveal how I value them. And so here, here's my question for you, and I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think, but then just two minutes to discuss this real quickly. And this doesn't necessarily need to be the most valued thing, most valued possession, but a valued thing that you have. Um, what would it be? And how do your actions display or show that this is something that is valued? Okay. 
So I'm going to give you about 10 or 15 seconds just to get something in your mind. And now I'm going to give you about two minutes. So that gives you kind of one minute for each of you. What would be that item and what, would, what is it that you do that kind of shows that value? So go ahead and go. Okay, we'll start to get back here then. All right, now, I, I'm not able to hear what everybody's comments were, and I actually didn't hear, hear anybody, so I wasn't eavesdropping. Um, but without hearing those, it, I do make an assumption of a common thing that was shared. Whatever you shared, you treat this item differently than some other things in some way. Um, my guess is you treat it with a little bit more care, a little more respect than some of the other things. And just as we value items in our possession and we display our honoring of those items in our houses and in our actions, when we pray, hallowed be thy name, what is the honor, what is the respect that we're wishing to apply to the name of our Father in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. Um, so there's two questions that I want to kind of work through here a little bit. The first one is just going to be pretty quick. The second one uh, I kind of expand on a little bit more. But the first question is, what does it mean to hallow something? Hallowed be thy name. And then the second question is, how do we live out and experience that process of hallowing God's name? <coughs> Excuse me. So, so first of all, to, to hallow something is to go beyond a value or a level of valuing for the things that we just shared. There may be some things that you shared that were hallowed, but probably more valued. The thing, three things that I shared, I'm not sure I hallow those. I value them to some degree. But what does it mean to hallow? Um, definitions from a number of different resources. To hallow something is to make it holy, respect it as holy. It would be something that is consecrated, separated for honor, sanctified, recognized as being valued above all else. That's what hallowed would refer to. So to, hall to be hallowed is to have some type of special or meaningful regard. Uh, to be hallowed is not a light consideration. It, it's very much intentional. And to be hallowed, I believe, has a level of awe and wonder that goes with that. In Courtney's reading of Psalm 8, that psalm started and ended with this phrase, Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. A level of awe. Albert Moeller, uh, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, writes in his book on the Lord's Prayer, says, when Jesus petitions God to hallow his name, he is asking that God act in such a way that he visibly demonstrates his holiness and his glory. It, it's as if he's saying, show us how valued and how hallowed 
you are. Reveal your holiness to us. And it's also saying, God, you are hallowed. You deserve to be hallowed above all things. Uh, years ago, there was a video that Dawn and I watched from Gary Smalley, a Christian author and family counselor, in which he suggested and recommended how you honor your spouse as they enter a room that where you may also be. And the response looks like this. It's awe. It's wonder. And, and it was that audible gasp that he modeled in the video. So, so that would be a process of as your spouse, that individual that you value, you are blown away in their presence. When they enter your room, there was something lacking. And when they entered the room, now that presence blows you away. That gasp. And it's not necessarily just for the moment, but it's because of the past that you have shared. And it's also for the anticipation of the future that you're going to continue to share. Now, I, I do have to admit that when Dawn enters a room, I do not respond that way <laughs> all the time. But, but it is one of those where that level of love, honor, respect is something that, you know, within a marriage, we want to be extending. We want to be showing. And so Smalley's example is to show that something is different just because your spouse has entered the room. We're in the presence of someone we love and who loves us. There's a relationship that is worthy of taking your breath away. From the website, gotquestions.com, uh, comes this statement of what hallowed be thy name means. God's name, his character and reputation must be set apart as holy in this world. And that is what Jesus teaches us to pray for. Now, as we first heard stories of God's love, whether we were children growing up or were new believers, do we respond with a gasp of honoring? And do we continue to gasp as we gain new understanding, as we read scripture, as we read God's word? And do we open up ourselves to continue to be amazed every new day? And so when we pray, hallowed be thy name, I, I think we are making a statement, three things. Number one, I hope and believe we're recognizing and remembering God's working in the past. Our past, the biblical past, our congregational past, wherever that may be. I, I hope and pray that we're also claiming his holiness and his goodness at this moment, right now, today. And then also making a commitment to continue to honor that name in the future. So the second question then, how do we live that out? What, what are our actions? What does it look like? 
And, and this is where I'm going to break this into kind of three parts. As I was thinking about what hallowing God's name might look like and feel like as I pray, I envision kind of three mindsets, three settings that might be common. And so I, I have three sets of pictures that I'm, we're going to show here that may reflect some of those thoughts. And so as I work my way through here, we'll show each set. And I believe each one of these is valid and appropriate responses kind of in, in their own setting. As we experience God's holiness, his awesomeness, and his glory at different times, different stages in our lives. So, Diane, go ahead and put the first one up there. Childlike amazement. And the first time I saw the one on the left, I didn't see the bubbles. I just saw the kid's response. But he's seeing bubbles. And maybe he's seeing bubbles for the first time, or the second time, or the third time. Maybe he's seeing it for the tenth time. And every time he sees it, it's wow. Now, when, when we see something or experience something that opens our eyes and our mouth in amazement, that is Wow. John Piper wrote in a sermon of his way back in 1984, he said this, I like to think of the biblical revelation of God as the tip of an iceberg floating in an ocean of mystery. Nine-tenths of God's majesty lies below the surface of revelation. And the tip of the iceberg revealed in scripture is so high that it extends out of sight into the clouds beyond anyone's ability to comprehend it fully. Only a tenth of his character is given to us in this age for our contemplation, and even this is so great that we will never exhaust its riches. Now, I'm, I'm all for scientific discoveries, especially mathematical computations and explanations and understanding, but are we willing, just as many children are, to not worry about understanding some of the experiences that we have with God. Are we willing to be amazed and enjoy his glory? Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, and, and you've heard this numerous times. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think there's a value to be ready to revel in simple things on earth and simply say, wow. I return to, again, Psalm 8.1, what Courtney read. Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I think as adults, many times, we lose that ability to simply be amazed and enjoy that amazement. Now, when we sing, there's a hymn that we sing that says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. It says, I stand amazed. Now, as we sing that song, are we trying to figure out why God saved us or loved us? Or is part of that just standing amazed and accepting that love and forgiveness? Um, I've shared this story before, but I'm going to share it again. Natalie, our daughter, um, went 
to a doctor's appointment, eye doctor appointment, and got glasses. And this was years ago. I don't remember exactly how old she was. First grade. First grade. And uh, was down in Napanee. And I remember Dawn telling the story that when Natalie was wearing those glasses on the drive home, she's drive, Dawn's driving by a set of trees, woods. And Natalie looked up and she said, Mom, there's individual leaves on the tree. And she had not been able to see that with, without her glasses. And, and I have to think, at that moment in time, Natalie didn't care about why in the world that was happening. It was just cool that she could see individual trees. She was amazed. And so she was enjoying the awesomeness of that moment of revelation. It's a childlike hallowing that I think we need at times. Uh, the second set of pictures. I would call this hallowing with understanding. And I think this, this idea and, and some of this look may be more in line with the language of scripture. And, and for these three things, I think hallowing with understanding is an intentional recognition and knowledge of how and where God has been faithful in the past. It's a deep recognition of the connection between God's promises from the past and the holiness of his truth. And it's also, as this one on the right it's an opening up of our arms, our eyes, our voices in full knowledge and recognition of God's goodness. And there is value in the process of knowing why God is to be hallowed. Taking time to read and discover all of God's graces. Reflecting on the love that God has shown to his children in the past, throughout the ages, and the promises to continue that love and forgiveness for us. In our current sermon series, Description, um, Sung Bin wrote this summary for this week, you know, hallowed be thy name. He, he wrote this. This would be in a process of acknowledging God's holiness, authority, and his agape love that God gave us Jesus, his one and only son. That recognition allows us to hallow with understanding. And I want to share five sets of scriptures where I think this, this just explains with scripture. It doesn't need my words. So first of all, Acts 4, 24 and 25, referred to as the believer's prayer. Paul writes this, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Psalms 8, 1 through 4. Words of King David. You're hearing verse 1 for the fourth, fourth time today. Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings, that you care for them. Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul writes, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, 
nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And finally, Luke 12, 6 to 7, these would be the words of Jesus himself. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God created this world. Throughout these five sets of verses, God created this world. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And yet with all that, why in the world would God worry about small little me personally? Yet he does. And therefore we pledge our honor and our respect and our lives to our hallowed Lord and Savior. All throughout scripture, because of the wonders that he has created and how he has loved us beyond what we deserve, we read that God is to be extolled, praised, and glorified. And so therefore we say, hallowed be thy name. Then the third set of pictures. And I I think this may be kind of the, the most challenging time where we say, hallowed be thy name. And I would classify this as this is a time of hallowing beyond understanding. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, if if we are happy, if we are joyful, if we are full of peace, if we are in a positive state of mind, hallowing his name and praising and singing some of the songs that we sang earlier, that's a whole lot easier than when we might be discouraged or we're worn down. So what do I do, what do I say if I simply don't feel like saying the Lord's Prayer and hallowing his name right then. How do I pray and hallow in that setting? In the midst of anxiety, distress, frustration, sadness, emptiness, loneliness, whatever my mindset might be, we do have that promise that we're not alone. There are two times I'm going to share in the Bible that others have experienced that sense of brokenness but cling to a promise. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And in Psalm 13, David writes, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. 
and my enemy will say, I have overcome you, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, and this is that challenge, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. There are times when God's followers, Habakkuk and David in this time, they didn't feel it. But because of their faith, they were claiming God's holiness and claiming his promises true. Romans 8.26 refers to times when we may not feel it and we're encouraged to allow the Holy Spirit to intercede amongst our groanings. When I can't verbalize it, God understands those groanings. When things don't make sense to us, those are times to rely on the Holy Spirit, to rely on a community of faith, for fellowship, for prayer. Allow others to pray with you and for you. And when you moan and you mumble your way through your prayers, we have an all-powerful God who is to be hallowed as we pray. He hears us. Um, we, we just sang the song, I Raise a Hallelujah. And a couple of the lines in there says, I raise a hallelujah, I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. That would be these times. Heaven comes to fight for me. And Wes even referred to this. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Those are times we need to hold on to those promises that God has given. And even with a heavy and a burdened heart, lift up and honor God in our faith and trust in him. Now, with names, there are individuals on this earth, celebrities, sports stars, that are known by just a single name. Oprah. LeBron. Michael. Tiger. Elvis. Cher. Pele. That last one might be a little bit different, soccer star. So, so saying a single name kind of brings back thoughts in your mind possibly, maybe some type of uh, video that you saw, uh, a concert you saw, an interview you saw, whatever it may be. But those names matter. As we say names, as we refer to names, they matter. So how are we saying God's name? and honoring and hallowing his name. Names are personal. Um, our son Nick, his initial Vietnamese name was Tien. That was what he was named. And, and we did think long and hard about keeping his name or changing it upon adoption. So we obviously named him Nick. We gave his, uh, him the middle name that would be my dad's name. And we were looking for and wanting a stronger sense of connection and belonging for him. But that name Tien is still part of him. That name Nick is part of him. Names carry part of our identity. If you can think back to school, if there was a substitute teacher that came in 
and that substitute teacher would mispronounce a name, there was probably laughter. Maybe even somebody got teased later, you know, that you got called a different name than your real name. Well, I mean, that name matters. So what about having a name that is so hallowed that people are hesitant and afraid to say it aloud for fear of profaning it? And that is what God is. The reverence that some Jews still have for the name of Yahweh, our God. Many Jews write the name God. You know, we would write G-O-D, God. There are still many Jews that will write a G and then a space or a hyphen and then the D. Because writing it down in some of their eyes diminishes it, diminishes the power of that name. Do we hold the name of God in that honor and that hallowing process? When Moses encountered the burning bush and met God face to face in Exodus, we read this. That Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israels and say to them, or Israelites, and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. That's pretty simple. I am identified who God was. Nothing more needed to be said. God was, God is, and God always will be. Revelation 21.6, John wrote, He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Again, God was, God is, and God always will be. So when, when we pray, hallowed be thy name, I think it is a calling, it is a recognizing God is our personal master of the universe. He created this world. That's awesome. He is a mighty God. So powerful that we cannot comprehend it. And according to John Piper, you know, 10% is about what we're going to have a chance of understanding. But he's personal in his nature, in loving us, in forgiving us, in accepting us. We serve an awesome God who deserves to be honored, praised, exalted, glorified, whatever word you want to throw in there. Hallowed be thy name. So I invite the, the team to come forward for the closing song. We're going to sing How Great Thou Art. Now, one, one thing I noticed as I read through the, uh, the chorus here, there's twice that this phrase, Then Sings My Soul, is going to be sung. And, and I went down through some of the verses, and there's not really any time in this whole song that says, My vocal voice is actually going to be heard. It talks about contemplating, thinking. But then it says, then sings my soul. So whether I'm childlike and I don't fully comprehend what things mean or even need to, or I have a fuller understanding and I recognize God's fullness and holiness, or I'm currently overwhelmed and I need to rely on the Holy Spirit to intercede for me. 
in my innermost deep soul. That's where I'd need to be willing to sing, How Great Thou Art.